Is Pastor Vic in the house? Is that you? <laughs> Looking at the baptism this morning reminded me of you. Years ago, we were in Israel, and Pastor Vic uh, was invited, coerced, forced into baptizing folk in the Sea of Galilee about 11 o'clock at night. The temperature of the water was 35 degrees. <laughs> so when he talked of it being a little cooler than they anticipated, by the time we finished baptizing about seven or eight people, he was blue. <laughs> Our pastor this morning is not well. I want us to bow our hearts in prayer to pray for him. Lord Jesus, he whom thou lovest so very much and who is so important to us is sick. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that this morning that you will release the pain and the cause him to come to wholeness. For I ask it in Jesus' name. And so bless our pastor today, I pray in Jesus' name. Minister to him, strengthen him, quicken him, relieve him of this pain, release him to wholeness of health. For I ask you in Jesus' holy name, and the people said, let it be. Amen. Turn with me for a little while this morning to the book of Hebrews Chapter 1. I've been meditating upon this book for many, many years. And in the last few months, it seemed to give me a new sense of inspiration and insight. It opens up like this. Reading from the New American Standard Version, God having of old times spoken unto the fathers in the prophets by divine portion and in divers manners, hath in the end of these days spoken unto us by his Son. Something flipped in my mind a couple of weeks back while I was reading this passage and it reminded me of an incident which took place in Bethesda many, many years ago. There was a youth rally taking place in our church and uh, Brad Ball, who is a brilliant artist, was going to paint a picture while a lady sang a song. And so she stood up behind the desk ready to sing and they had the easel and the paint and that kind of thing over there, Brad was going to paint. And so as soon as the tape was turned on and the music began, Brad put his brush in some paint, went choo, choo, choo. And then uh, he picked up another brush, for instance, another color paint, and went choo, choo, choo. There was a little boy sitting behind me and he said to his daddy, I can do that. <laughs> 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 
By the time the song had finished, Brad had painted a magnificent picture, and the little boy turned to his dad and said, I can't do that. <laughs> it's the opening flashes that Brad did that morning, is what happens in the opening verse <clears throat> of Hebrews chapter 1. He said three things about God. He said, God, the name given to him is Elohim. It's the creator, God. The one who brought the being into being, the worlds and all there is out of nothing. But then he goes on to say, God spoke to the fathers. <clears throat> And there is a sudden switch in the terminology which is used because in speaking to the fathers, he's speaking of Noah. Let me sound like, uh, like Pastor Vic. Abraham, Yitzhak, and Jacob. Ab Noah, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. He spoke to them in the context of his name being Elohim. How do we know that? Because in Exodus chapter 6, the Lord speaking to Moses and he said, In days gone by, I revealed myself to them as El, as God. He said, But to you, and from now on, I will reveal myself to you through the tetragrammaton. Now, don't be afraid. That's a, just a $10 word which simply means the four letters. And so God said, from now on, I'm going to reveal myself and speak to you through the four letters. Yod, He, Vav, He, which we know was Yahweh, Jehovah, or whatever. We don't know how to pronounce it because it, the sounding of it has been lost over the centuries. But God said, I have revealed myself to them. You might say, well, how do you know that's true? Because when you look at the words given to the prophets, they all use the term, the Bar Yahweh, the word of the Lord, the Bar Yahweh. And so we have God, Elohim. We have Yahweh, which is the covenant keeping God. Then we have the third. He spoke to us by his son. That means to say that we've gone from the creator, we've gone to the covenant one, to now one who is a dad. Avi. Or as in the Aramaic, Abba. Papa, God. But having given those three flashes of God, he then goes on to give us Caesar flashes about the sun. And I need to look at them, okay? When you get old, your memory doesn't uh, quick, click as often as it ought to. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm filling in for Pastor Dan. <laughs> and so, even as Brad gives three flashes with regard to the Father. So the writer of Hebrews gives a series of flashes about the Son. He says, first of all, he is the 
heir of all things. He is the one who has the authority to watch over everything that's taking place in the universe. It goes further. He is the agent of creation. It's through him that things came into being. That that which is came out of nothing by the word of of the Son. But then it goes further. He is the effulgence of the glory, which is the actual expression of his character. In the Old Testament, when you looked at God, you considered him in the context of glory. The Shekinah was the most significant expression of his presence. It was true for the tabernacle. It became true for the temple. That when God manifests his presence, there was this sense of glory. But when it comes to the New Testament, the expression, the primary expression of God the Father is not that of glory. It says, we beheld the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth, hesed and amet. That God is revealed now not just as this glorious, superb, spectacular, brilliant figure that's brighter than the sun, but that which is attractive, that which is compassionate, that which is loving, that which is inviting. The glory of God was repelling, but the grace of God is attracting in which it bids you come. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, just come. Come to the Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth. But then it goes on to underscore the fact that having been the agent of redemption, having fulfilled the plan of redemption, he sat down. And so we have in the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1, the glorious expression of what the principle of redemption, authored by God, the agent is the Son, and eventually we'll find the administrator is that the Holy Spirit. But that's beyond my scope of conversation this morning. So we talk about the Son. But then when he gets to chapter 2, he makes uh, this profound statement that all things have been put under subjection. Right? But he said, we see not yet all things put under subjection. We see Jesus. In other words, as far as the principle is concerned, everything is already done. Everything is already complete. But as far as the practical application is concerned, we are still a work in progress. Now, I must be honest, I don't like that idea. I like the idea of people saying, well, it's done. Yes, it's done. To the precious blood of Jesus, the battle's been won. Yes, indeed. Yet, in my heart, in my life, the battle still rages. 
And so Hebrews gives us an insight of what he has already done. But then from chapter 2, verse 9, what he's now doing. And to the end of chapter 2, you have this brilliant expose of the current ministry of the Lord Jesus. I want to talk to you for a little while about that this morning. Because the Lord is active in his church. The Lord is active in our lives for the glory of his name. Can I say amen? Amen. The prophet Zechariah gives a series of pictures about the Lord Jesus Christ in his messianic ministry to Israel. And we know that what he will be to Israel, he already is to the church. The way that he will ultimately function in ministry to Israel, he's already functioning in ministry to you and to me. And so Zechariah in chapter 10 gives four uses. <laughs> you know, that's the picture of my life, up and down. He uses four pictures to describe the future ministry of the Lord to Israel. And the four pictures that he uses are operating in the church right now. The first one, it speaks of pinna. It's translated corner, cornerstone. It speaks of a foundation. Jesus is our rock on which we stand. He is our rock in which we hide. He's a shelter in the time of storm. And what Zechariah is promising Israel, that there's coming a time when Jesus, the Messiah, will be this to them. I want you to know that we understand that Jesus is this to us. He is our foundation stone. He is that which holds the corners together. I had coffee with a young guy a few weeks back, and he's a real intellectual. And, you know, I get intimidated by intellectuals because I'm not the sharpest guy on the block. You know, and uh, there he was waxing eloquent of uh, how his faith was no longer relevant and no longer operative. So I listened to him and, uh, you know, I think he was trying to get me to doubt. And I looked at him and I said, uh, who are you listening to? What voices are ringing in your ears? So he began to name some of the 
the philosophers, you know. I read them years and years ago. I didn't believe them then, and I certainly don't believe them now. <clears throat> In fact, much of their philosophy is, uh, is just frivolent imagination. And so I said to him, you know, that's the reason why your faith is faltering. You're listening to the wrong voice. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. I said, if you allow the word of God to come through both these years, it will certainly overcome the doubts which have been raised by people who don't believe in anything. He looked at me like a calf looks at a new gate. <laughs> I said, I can tell what you're listening to and what's influencing you. I said, but if you'll allow the word of God, it will begin to impact, it'll begin to become a foundation stone upon which you can stand and upon which you will live for the rest of your life. I said, these philosophers, they rise and fall. They have to change their opinion as science develops new things. I said, but the word of the Lord, it stands. Hallelujah. It stands. But he goes on to give another beautiful picture. Only this time it's not just pinna. Your fade. And the, your fade is translated nail or peg. <clears throat> now I'm glad for having a foundation. But what about a peg? Well, in ancient times the peg had a twofold reason for being. Number one, it held things together. And so when they were building a hull of a ship, for instance, they would put the board and then they would fasten it with pegs. And I'm grateful for pegs because there are times in life when it seemed as though my life unraveling. Now, I know that this never happens to you. It just happens to weird old guys. But there are times when it seems as though everything is out of control. And I seem to say, what's going on? What I need at that moment is a peg. A peg which will bind those Boards together so that instead of unraveling, I become secure again. A peg, huh? Oh, yeah, amen. <clears throat> it, the word is peg, not glory. We, we've already touched on bug glory. <clears throat> Forgive me, Lord. You hear that from you oftentimes. Peg. But pegs are not only things to hold things together. Pegs are used 
upon which you fasten things. Isaiah speaks of the glory of the fathers hang on a peg or hang on a nail. And I thought that was interesting because it underscores to me that no matter what's taking place, my future is secure because it's hung upon a peg. And the name of that peg is Jesus. No matter what's taking place around about me, I'm secure because of the peg. I've hung my life upon the peg. I've hung my life upon the one. In fact, it's either translated peg or it's translated nail. And I certainly have hung my life upon the place of the nail. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his stripes I am made whole. I have fastened my life. There's an old, old gospel song. Fix your life on the eternal, and it'll be hid in the hollow of his hand. But you know the problem? With life is that, because in verse 25, Isaiah goes on to simply speak of, in the natural arena of life, pegs can rust, or the environment can become moldy, and the pegs drop out. Because that's what happens in life. But that's not what happens with Jesus. He is a sure peg. If you put your trust upon him, you can be assured of this, that he will hold you fast. He will, it's a safe person in which you can place your life for the glory of his name. I like, no, don't, don't do that. You're wasting my time. <clears throat> and pastor told me this morning I was not to speak long, so I will... I will be obedient to my pastor. Upon Pina Pothard. But then he gives another term. He speaks of a bow. And theologians have, have debated this issue. What does a bow mean? I submit to you, it represents the defensive mechanism which is given to Israel in the day of yet to come when Messiah is their king, he will defend them. I like that. Because that's what happens in life. Jesus is my defense. There are some times in which people throw accusations out that you simply, I got no answer for that. I don't know how I could justify that or repudiate that or, or defend myself. I don't have to. He is my defense. Jesus is my advocate that no matter what the accusation is, is which what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, who is he that condemneth? Well, we know who he is. 
It's either the devil or the age of the devil. Always finding fault. Always picking holes. But you know, you don't do that in the presence of God. You just do that to his kids. You know, Mary's a grandma. And I tell you what, it's a lot more fun being a grandparent than it is being a parent. <laughs> I think being a grandparent is God's reward for having been a parent <laughs> and, and, and survived the expression. Being a grandparent, you can spoil the kids and say, oh no, go home to mama. Or feed them candy until they become hyperactive and say, it's your kid. <laughs> he. But one thing, you dare not speak a negative word about a grandchild in front of a grandparent. Ooh. Ooh. If you've ever seen a volcano erupt, <laughs> just, con just complain about grandkids to a grandparent. <laughs> he is our bow. He is our defense. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ who died. And he rose again. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. My friend, it's important for us to know. He's our foundation. He's our peg. He's our defender. He gives one more picture, and I, I, need, a, I need a quit. It simply speaks of being... It's translated ruler. The one who reigns in one's heart, the one who reigns over one's life. Friend, if your life seems to be out of control, hear me this morning, it's not. It's in his hands. Now when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a banner or is up a standard against him. You can rest assured of this. I don't understand what's going on. I don't have to understand what's going on. I just have to understand and love him ruler. I close. Many years ago, I was invited to uh, speak to uh, a gathering of theologians and philosophers of the Catholic Church. And so uh, I worried, I sweated, about the whole thing. and So when I turned up at the event, as I walked in, 
The man who'd invited me, I knew him quite well, and we were quite friends. We'd pray together quite a bit. And he said, uh, now, I want you to know, Reverend, I love that word. I hate that word with a passion. Only he's Reverend. And he said, um, I want you to know, Reverend, you're not going to preach. So, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he said, that's going to be a question and answer kind of a period. It's going to have just a time for interaction together. He said, um, the people you're going to be talking to, they, they, they don't really appreciate sermons. I thought, oh, what on earth have I got myself into? And so for two hours, we interacted. And the longer we talked, the more these Catholic theologians said, you know what you believe, we believe. We believe in the virgin birth. So we believe in the, the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. We believe in the, in the authority of, of God's word. We, and they're going, no, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. And, um, and the guy would invite me, whisper, he said, don't, whatever your intention or impulse is, do not make an appeal. I hadn't thought of it, but uh, now that you dropped it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and so the guy uh, simply said, well, you know, we've had a, a very interesting uh, time of interaction. The folk were very kind and very gracious. They said, we need to do this again. I said, over my dead body. <clears throat> And the guy turned and he said, I just want to ask you folk a little question, a nice little question. And so I thought, okay. This is a question he asked. He said, now I know that you are members of the church. And that was obvious. There were the theologians. They were the top administrators of the Church of Melbourne, the Catholic Church of Melbourne. And he repeated, I know that you are members of the church. But he said, my question to you is this. Have you allowed Jesus to be Lord of your life? There was a professor who was sitting on my left hand. She blinked and tears began to come down her cheeks. There was one of the top theologians, and his lip began to quiver. Altogether, there were about 60 people in that room. This bishop friend of mine said, he said, now would be a good time for us to simply say, 
Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the privilege of being in the church. But now, please become Lord of my life. He said, how many of you would like to do that? Over 60% of the people present nodded their heads and signaled by raising my finger. And I thought, that's what the millennium, as I was thinking about this, that's what the millenniums of our day need to hear. They've been a part of the church. Some of them like it, some of them don't. But it's not just being a part of the church. Has Jesus become Lord of your life as well as God of your salvation? The moment that you do this, he'll become your foundation. He'll become your, the peg on which you can place your future. He'll become your defender against all evil and he will rule your life for the glory of his name. God bless you. God bless you, church.